directing to me is leading a team towards a vision, um, being an example of what you want in that vision, and also understanding when to follow the rules and when to break them. Welcome to Step Into the Sandbox, a conversational journey through the minds of creatives. Step into the worlds they create as we unpack the roots and elements of their creative process. I'm your host, David Verhano, and this is episode three of the podcast. These first few episodes will highlight some creative professionals from various disciplines as they share their stories of growth, failure, and everything in between. Today's guests are Vanessa Garcia and Victoria Collado the duo behind Abre Camino Collective. This director-writer combo is most recently known for their work on Amparo, an immersive theater experience that tells a story about the Rio Havana Club. We discuss how they forged their creative partnership, their personal experiences in the theater and performing arts space, and how they're applying unconventional practices to the field. Enjoy. What do you guys have for breakfast today? I have a very good answer for that, which is essentially I started a banana with cashew butter and literally was about to put the cashew butter on the open banana and then my son woke up and then I had to change him to go get a flu vaccine. Um, So I think the banana and the cashew butter is still open on my counter. (laughs) (laughs) Mine, um, I was trying to hold off to have a peach parfait from Sucre, which is amazing, but Sucre was not open when we needed to be there, so I had un rollito de jamón y queso <laughs> with café con leche. Ay, how Cuban of you. It's super Cuban, and that was my tentempié, which is what my mom calls it, which is like mantentempié. Um, so that was my tentempié, and I never got full breakfast. Um, I like breakfast. I agree. I'm I'm the same. But you got something para para resolver. Para yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. um, the the other follow up is something that I like to ask people because it was like one of the interview questions I had early on when I was looking for jobs that caught me off guard, but it was really interesting. Which was they asked me if we go to your car right now and we open up your trunk, could you name three things that we would find? Oh yeah. Okay. Can I go so, first. Oh yeah. Well, the thing is that the trunk of my car has all of my dad's stuff. So you'll find a neon yellow construction shirt, construction boots, and a random yellow raincoat that he uses when he goes to construction sites. Amazing. Thank you. I can vouch for it. <laughs> I saw it as you did it. Um, I have a stroller. That's a really good one now because it's nice and compact because you can take it to the airplanes. Um, and then the bags for, you know, Publix, the supermarket, Trader Joe's, like, bags. And a bag for Goodwill of, like, old clothes and other things that are still in really good shape, but I don't know what to do with them, so it's there to give to. Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really smart to have the grocery bags in the car already. Yeah. If not, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Because in New York, I used to have them in, underneath. Mm-mm. And now I can't. No. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one, I kind of, I should have just led with this one, but it was like, if we walk into a Cuban bakery right now, what's the one item you have to leave with? Uh, colada. Yeah. Un cotadito. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Um, we're here with Vanessa and Vicky, the creative duo behind Amparo Experience and the two collectives behind Abre Camino Collective. Um, I'd go into their intros and, and their backgrounds, but they both have Wikipedia pages, so you can look it up. You can Google it yourself. So, But I will allow them to introduce themselves and kind of tell the audience whatever they don't know already they can't readily find on Google or online. Hmm. Um, do you go first? I think, oh, I was going to say, like, I can say random things about you and okay. you can say random things about okay, me. Okay, let's do it. All right. Okay, so oh, Vanessa okay. is a visual artist and um, was that for a very long time before she moved towards writing full-time. Like, she was in between the two worlds. but um, And the reason why was because she didn't want to put waste in the world because she realized that a lot of the things that she had were th materials that then just went to waste. And so with her writing, it could live not affecting the environment. That's true. And Victoria... Um, directed for El Repertorio Español. <laughs> <laughs> and she directed first in Spanish before she directed in English. Was really good at it. Um, I personally saw El Burlador de Sevilla. <laughs> yes, you did. I did. Oh early on. <laughs> <laughs> and then later, most recently, you've probably seen uh, Latin History for Morons, and she assistant directed it, and she's in the Playbill, so you should check it out. Very wow, cool. that's really good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have one really good. Um, this is really good. <laughs> Vanessa Garcia in her for in her past life was a ballerina. I think that's true. I think that's true too. No, it's real. And <laughs> she was uh, her favorite. Her favorite, like um, like the animal that like th there's two animals right now. Well, there's an insect and there's an animal. The crane uh -huh. is always associated with Vanessa. And she has two tattoos. She has a crane and an anchor. The anchor is one that her husband Iggs has too. It's like the anchoring of like home and family. And then the crane is the, the thing that makes her fly free. And that's one of the things I admire her about her the most, um, which is her ability to, there is no limits to Vanessa's creativity or to where her brain goes. Um, and the it, insect we both have. The, the insect, insect we both is have. the yes. bee. The bee. Which, Which is amazing because right now. yesterday I saw someone with a bee. I have to show it to you on his hand. And anyway, the bee is uh, the symbol of La Habana. That's why we like the bee. But he was also saying, you know, like you can't really exist. Like there, there's also a, a life driving force behind the bee. Yeah. Um, and it was really, really beautiful. And it means community too, which is yeah. Yeah. all what we're about. And sunflowers. Yeah. Um, okay, one last thing about Victoria, which is super random and present and current, which you're going to love to know. <laughs> oh, God. That's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Victoria right now lives in a really nice house next to her parents' house, which I really love <laughs> because it's so everything that we're about. Like everything that, that Miami's about, that we as Cubans are about, that I feel like Abre Camino's about. It's like they're right there. There's a little bit of distance and a huge pile of dirt in between because, <laughs> not because of, of anything negative, but because there's a paving for the future of what could be even better of that whole space in between. So I just love that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I know, Vanessa, I know you from Creative Mornings, this was probably like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the crane, which I guess at that time you were 
pretty much going full force with that. Mm -hmm. And the actual performance that you gave, it was supposed to be a speech, but you took it to another level <laughs> when you made it a performance, was about the crane. And it was this whole, um, you know, amazing experience that you kind of gave to this crowd on a Friday morning. Um, what does that mean to you in terms of uh, where you've come from that point to where you are today and how that has resonated throughout your career? Uh, so the crane at that moment in time was a nonprofit company that that I had founded and that um, some of the people uh, that were in that performance were members of. And for me, that was the, the first time I had ever um, led a group of people. And it was, uh, I think, yeah, that was like 2005, but the company had been running for a little while before. And that was the company that I really learned how to create things with and how to create things with in the real world, like with a budget and how to get people to Edinburgh and how to get them into a festival and how to move things along. The crane itself is two things for me, like the actual bird, which is the name of the company, which was um, when I moved back to Miami, which was around 2005, 2004, 2005, um, 2005 actually, um, I, there were a lot of cranes, like literally cranes building things and making things. And Miami was a new city. And at the same time, the bird, the crane is this like intermediary between the earthly and the divine. And it was like this bird that, that rode through the center of all of that. And I was like, well, that's Miami and that's what I want to do and that's everything I feel. And so that symbol kind of, you know, became part of, I feel like what I wanted to represent or what I wanted to do. And so I literally have it on my left arm. <laughs> and, and the interesting part was the theme that month was rebel. And how does that tie into the concept of being rebel or, or rebellion? Yeah. I don't know how to um, follow the rules, like really. I, 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 they, they upset me <laughs> in the sense of like when people have rigid rules that seem to serve no purpose, I don't understand why they're there and why they cannot be broken. That does not mean that I don't believe in excellence in training and like I have way too much education and way too much like, you know, like all the way to a PhD, meaning I believe in bases and I believe you should learn things, but that doesn't mean that molds aren't meant to be broken to create new molds. Um, and so I firmly believe that that this like intermediary bird can talk to those two places, the one that, like the earthly that's like I am bound and the one that's somewhere else that can do something else and you can sort of navigate between the two. Very cool. And I think I can extend the question to you. What, what does the concept of being a rebel or a rebellion mean to you, Vicky? Yeah, um, I think that that's something that Vanessa and I actually, that's what makes us a good team. Um, because I feel that my, <clears throat> my career path has always been being in a thing that I wasn't quote unquote fully prepared for, but totally prepared for. Meaning that I had the tools, I had just never use those tools in that way before. Um, and I think that the mentality of rebel isn't to, the way that I think that I like to use it and I think the way that we like to use it is that it's not to be rebel to disrupt, but in order to move us forward. And so we're actually encountering a lot of that right now uh, with, our, with our company because for, just for example, our small company is a for-profit, which is not a thing that theater people do. Um, and I think that now when we're talking to people who follow the rules a lot, 
they're like, but that's not how it's done. And we're like, yeah, that's not how it's done. And it's and we and we're always questioning like, well, what what could be better? And what can how can we change it to move us all forward, not just to disrupt, but to to innovate. And that's something that I think that keeps us both alive. And it's something that definitely keeps us together. Um, and it's and it's in Abre Camino. Abre Camino is about radical storytelling and constantly questioning. Like these are the rules of storytelling. What what does that actually mean? And there's things that come out of our mouths now that I'm like, oh my god, like 10 years ago that would have never come out of my mouth. Uh, like we're going beyond just the performing arts. We're going beyond like what art is and talking to chefs and talking to people. Like it's just trying to learn from everybody. And I also think it's really interesting, like the idea that. You're saying, like, the first time the crane ever existed, it was an LLC, and I was like, this is going to be a for-profit model, this is what I believe it should be, and then the world was like, no, 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 if you want to get anything done in theater, you need to become a 501c3. So I'm really happy that I went through that entire experience of becoming a 501c3, seeing that actually my gut was right, and that that didn't actually work, and that it should be part of the equation, but not the whole equation. But I'm glad that I did it, and that's that thing of like, okay, there is the rule, got it, did it, done, gonna break it now, let's add it and make something new. Got it, yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. Um, another thing that you had mentioned in that talk, which is I think like an overarching thing that's very important to cover is the concept of maintaining a sense of wonder in adulthood, yeah. and, and what that means, and why, why would that be important for you as a creative? Yeah. I mean, for me, even when I teach like all of my undergraduate classes, at the end of every single class, I had this moment called, um, it was like reassessing or, or uh, reigniting your sense of wonder. And it would be, we would read a children's book every at the end of every single class. And so it was a picture book at the end of every class. And it was this idea of like, what happens when you go at something with no expectation, like you think you know what a kid's book is, but it's not, and how do you look at it, and now you're looking at images. And, and it was actually this wonderful moment of story time at the end of every single class for these like 20 year olds who were in this like zone of undergraduate world and deadlines and like, I need to figure out who I am and my career and all of this. And um, that like spark of wonder that happened in that moment was really, sometimes it didn't work, but sometimes it was amazing and it led to 3,000 things the next day. So I feel like you have to do that all the time. You have to force yourself to, I mean, if you're not a person who's always like, oh, which I feel like sometimes I'm too much, oh. <laughs> um, but if you're not, it, it's important to get back. Absolutely, yeah. Vicky, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. but Yeah, I mean, I think my mom, my mom's a very special person. Um, and she used to always say to me, like, don't stop being a kid. Um, that doesn't mean don't be responsible. Um, and I think that there's certain parts of me who are like, oh, yeah, I have to be an adult about certain things. But what that gave me permission was, like, to always remember to have fun. And so we give ourselves a lot of room. I think that um, wonder just creates an ability to just... One of my favorite things about... Um, when you start learning acting is that they always go back to Stanislavski, right? And Stanislavski is like the the teacher of all teachers, like how Americans, everybody goes back to Stanislavski. It's what essentially becomes the method in a version of it, but it's not, anyway. I'm diverting to acting class. But 
in his first book that he gives to everybody, um, and he has like three of them, and you watch him evolve. But the first one is the what if, the magic what if. I love that they call it the magic what if. And so the idea is that you as, a, as an artist, as an actor, as a, and I use it as a director, is like, well, what if this happened? And what if this? And, what, and, and the what if and the magic of I don't know, I think that that was something that a lot of professors taught me, which is like, do not be the person who pretends that you know a thing. Just go like, I don't know, let's figure it out. And so that sense of wonder and like my mom telling me like be a kid and all those things kind of and then pairing up with someone who is all about wonder and magic, um, I think that that kind of just allows the the brains to just go like well what if the world didn't function this way what if the world wasn't round what is if it the rules were different and that is is um, it's like a a good virus <laughs> and so then once you start speaking in that language then it starts affecting everybody around you. And so when you have wonder about the projects you do, you start having wonders about your own life. And like, well, uh, who said that my life can't be this way? And so it starts blending worlds. And I think that that's the magic of wonder. Got it. No, that makes, that, that, that's an awesome way to encapsulate it. Um, you, you kind of were referencing the concept of acting. Now you find yourself in a role where you're more in a director role over the past, what, 10 years? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's Thank you pretty, for, for making me feel my age. No, that's an amazing <laughs> number to have you know, under your belt. Yeah. But um, I think what's interesting about the concept of directing is it's probably taken a lot more, it's evolved. It's taken a lot of different like definitions to different people. So I wanted to give you this opportunity to kind of define it for you and your industry. Yeah. Because we have art directors now, we have creative directors, we have theater directors, we have director, film directors, you have everyone. So it's like, what does directing mean to you? Directing to me is, um, and it's actually a question that comes up all the time. And I think that one of the things that shocked me, um, that we talk about all the time, is like how people out, like some people don't understand what what directing is because it can take, it can actually take a lot of forms. Um, but directing to me is leading a team towards a vision, um, being an example of what you want in that vision, and also understanding when to follow the rules and when to break them, and when to add. Um, I think that there's like the logistical part of the job, which is like, this is how we're gonna implement all the things, or creating like, I, I love them, half of my job is like coming up with strange exercises that will get us to the thing that it might feel like. <laughs> um, and then I, I got a really good piece of advice, which is always said, and I think it's in like five podcasts now, um, and Vanessa's heard me said it 5,000 times, <laughs> but I had a really good mentor who said, get people who are smarter than you, um, who, are really, who are 10 times better at the thing that they do than you are. And that's something that I live by, um, because it's like, the. I think that also directing is a removal of, of the ego, or the like, I'm the leader, and I'm the one that you have to. And it's, it's a battle, it is a struggle, because you can get really attached to an idea and how you think it should go, and you have to listen to the pace of where the thing wants to go without letting it fly off the rails. It's like this balancing act. Um, and so it helps when you have an amazing, like when you have a partner who wants to ebb and flow with you. Um, usually when I'm doing my thing, there's a, there's a structure, it's set, and that structure is set, and you have to play within that. Um, which is always fun, but it's nothing like what we do. 
which is a con constant conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so then my job becomes so much cooler. It's so much more fun. I mean, ten for me, it's just at least, yeah. it's so much more fun because you're 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 like, this is where the nature of that thought is going, mm -hmm. and then what if we did this? And so, I think that uh, directing, to sum it up, I think that directing is understanding the wave of where the world moves, and understanding where you want to go, and helping it go with it with soft hands, not strangling the thing, but being able to let it do, let it go the way you need it to go. Got it. Let's say that someone that's listening to this podcast is aspiring to be a director or at least understand what the concept of a director is. Like, What would you say are some of the characteristics or experiences that you should have to go through to become a, a good director, a great director? I, you know, I guess it's kind of subjective in a way, but you know, at least a, a very uh, effective director. I think it helps uh, when you understand everybody's job and have been through that person's job, meaning I, under, I have acted, and therefore I understand what it's like to act and to receive notes and to try to process that. So there's a lot of compassion and understanding of like, this person now is receiving this note or is receiving this information and needs to process it, right? The same thing with my designers. I have learned what designers do. Um, have been, I have attempted writing, but in, in but I understand in the process of like, I, I know what my notes or how my direction is gonna go and affect that person. And I think you constantly have to understand, one, what it actually means for that person for you to swip, flip the switch on them, because that's your job. Your job is to flip the switch all the time. And I also think that you have to learn how to speak in other people's languages. It really isn't about being like, I am the man. Like I had a conversation today with someone, it's like, that's wonderful that if I wanna be like, this is how it's done and this is how you do it, that's not gonna get me. I'm committed to the vision mm -hmm. and where it needs to go. And I understand, and it's not about being fake or false, it's about, I understand that this person receives changes in this way. Mm -hmm. And therefore I have to speak in their language and in a way that it makes sense for them. So understanding who your audience is in everything is one thing, and then understanding what it actually means for that person to make all the changes because you are the beacon of bad news sometimes, a lot of the time. <laughs> Got you. So let's talk a little bit more about Abre Camino Collective and your roles there. Vicky, you're doing more of the directing side you're, and Vanessa, you're doing more of the writing side. Mm -hmm. So how does that duality and that kind of synergy work between you two? What's that experience been like? Well, um, I mean, with the reason why we sort of why we created Abre Camino Collective was because we work in a particular way where there is a conversation between the two disciplines. So obviously there is the writing that is done and there's the directing that is done, but the writing doesn't stop at the directing and the directing doesn't stop at the writing. And then where those lines blur, it doesn't really matter. And we wanted to explain that to someone that would hire us and so we created this collective together and then that collective has expanded to include people we want to work with and um, you know assistant actors all kinds of people that we want to be part of this collective that also are part of those um, blurring lines and also building um, of, of what we consider out of coming to the collective yeah I think that um we admire each other a lot 
uh, for what each person does. And I mean, I will never, like she's the expert in writing. And so I toss a thing at her and I'm like, there you go, have fun. <laughs> and the same thing happens, right? Like there's um, moments in the scripts where she's like, and Vicky's gonna figure this part out. Okay, great. Um, and I think that uh, being able to blend the worlds actually opens us up for a lot, a lot of things. Like there's a lot of moments in which I think that we influence each other and that then it starts becoming the one brain kind of mold, which is, I mean, we've said it already, but it, it is the most fun way to work. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, yeah, and this, and this, and this. Oh, and what if this happens, and what if that? Like one of our, I don't want to, well, I guess I can ruin a little bit of Amparo, but like one of the, the best moments is that when the revolution starts, and that's because Vanessa was like, what if this person comes in now? And that is a total directing moment. And I'm like, that's genius. Yes, that person right. should come in. But after there was this whole thing created, which is one of the best parts, which is when they start to sing the anthem. And then it was like, okay, now what happens? But like there was this amazing anthem moment, and you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, and everybody thinks that's cool. And then what do you do? It's true. It's that moment of like, tick, tick. You know, like you can just see the thing, and then what does story do on top of that? And then it's almost like you can keep writing, which is like the dream of a writer, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Like you can keep actually doing the thing in the room when when someone adds this like amazing thing to it, you know what I mean? So it's really kind of just like up and up and up. And vice versa, because yeah. you're not, like as a director, you're not trapped, you're not trapped. You're like totally coming in here and you're like, this is what I need and then, you know, I can't do that with Shakespeare, he's dead. <laughs> and it's been, but I can't do that with Vanessa. I'm like, this is, I need this thing. And then all of a sudden, you're actually part of the storytelling process. And then I think that's where we all are. You I think, never have the hard stop in either direction. You never have the hard stop, which is like, oh, okay, I can go up to here because that's it. That's, that's, that's the thing. And the hard stop is time. But time is your friend sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, yeah. You know? We agree, yeah. Uh, a good idea, not enough time. Yeah. I think that's a creative challenge that spans upon, like, across a bunch of different industries. Mm -hmm. Like, when do you stop? Yeah. When is it good enough? When is it great? When is it excellent? When do I stop? So that's something that I think challenges many creatives across different disciplines. Yeah. yeah well, I, Brecht, one of the playwrights, directors, German, like, one of the, the big dudes, um, he always talks about how like the play is never, um, it doesn't, I hope it's Brecht and not Beckett, and I'm totally messing this up. <laughs> no one Google me right now. But he always talks about um, how the play never, it's not that the play ends or that it's perfect, it's just that it's let go. Uh -huh. And I think that there's the truth, like creativity, I think what that actually says is that the creativity just moves. It just does the thing it needs to do, and you could keep going until forever. forever. I mean, that's life. Yeah. And then you choose to be like, and up to here. And then somebody else can pick it up. I mean, this is a random example, but when I was in college, um, I did this thing called the May Madness Film Festival. And the idea was, they had shut off the, they had turned down the project, the the, um, the film department at, at FIU. And so they were like, no more film. And I'm like, oh, well, great. 
and there goes my dream of becoming Meryl Streep and Martin Scorsese all in one. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so what we're gonna do, I was like 19, I was like, we're gonna make a film festival. And so the challenge is that we're gonna get four weeks, it's gonna be in May, hence May Madness. And we're gonna we're gonna all do all the things so we can learn the things. So like I'm gonna direct this one, and I'm gonna act in this one, and I'm gonna produce that one. And so like everybody was it was one collective work. It wasn't about being competitive. It was about everybody working together to learn how to make film. That happens with a group of people, and then it stops. It like literally just like got abandoned because the visions went elsewhere. Like I wanted to still make it educational. The partner at the time wanted to make it like an actual film festival. And so it gets dropped. 10 years later, one of the kids there is, hears it from one of the professors and is like, I wanna take on May Madness Film Festival and so I'm gonna do it. And now they screen it at FIU and they screen this and that wow, that's cool. blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I was like, fine, it's no longer mine. It's not mine to do, I dropped a hint and then I went and then all of a sudden this girl is like, I want the same thing, look, there's a, and then she built up on that. And so that's, that's proof that things don't end, they just switch hands or they get dropped. It's true. I think there's always this weird middle ground in the creative industry of collaboration versus competition and mm -hmm. how much of one versus the other. I do think that creativity obviously flourishes when you find collaborative partners. Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of goes back to your story. How did you two meet and create this collective? How did you get to this point of yeah. forging I mean, I hear I hear you say that, and I immediately think like the one thing my mother used to always tell me, and still tells me even to this day, is that there's no competition on the creative plane, which I actually find to be really true. There is no real competition on the creative plane because that's the whole point of creativity, and also you exactly that idea of collaboration always changes the creativity in the sort of like molecules that get put together at a particular moment in time. Um, but we got together um, through, I had a, a short play that got into the Sam French Festival, and um, I had a producer that, but I didn't have a director, and so I was looking for them, and the producer reached out to her, and then they asked her for, um, <laughs> that you should say this part, because yeah. this is good, yeah. So um, the, the producer was uh, a friend of mine from college, um, was working with this producer, they get my name, and I was actually a Van Leer uh, a, a directing fellow at Repertorio. And so they were actually looking for the guy who was like uh, the resident director at Repertorio. And I never do this, like for real. Like to this day, I think that I need to work on it. I probably should do more of this, but I never do this. And so I was like, I know you're looking for him, but I mean, I could do it. Like, Thank God. Thank God. It was like one of those modes. I was like in one of these modes of like, I need to become a director. I need to do this thing. So I'm like, I'm just going to say yes. And so I was like, look, how about me? Like, look, I'm available. It's a short play. I can do this. And she's like, yeah, sure. Like there was no nothing. And that's also a really good sign that you're right, on the right path. Like that, that whole cliche of flow. It's not that it's not hard. It's that it keeps moving. 
Yeah. It's not that there isn't like turbulence in the water. It's that it keeps moving. You know what I mean? Like go, 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 go. It's a different, like I have this whole other idea of what flow is than like, oh, it's just so easy. It just means you just keep going. Yeah. But in that moment, it was like, we were like, tick, tack, I don't know, I don't know. And then Vicky comes in and, and then we like meet at BAM and we have like a rehearsal. And in my brain, I'm like, this is too short of a rehearsal because also this is a per- person that I want to keep working with. Like, but this is awesome because now I find someone that actually can like direct the stuff that I write. This is cool in my brain, registered, done. And vice versa. She was yeah. writing the things I wanted to be making. Yeah. Yeah. And then the thing goes up, it's done, goodbye, as most things happen. But we kept in touch, and especially because Vicky kept sending me emails like, oh, you should apply to this or do this or ha 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 or this, hi. Like literally just like, <laughs> which I didn't do with anybody else. Like I would feel bad for other playwrights. I'm like, I'm totally work flirting with Vanessa. I'm like courting her. And I'm not, I'm like, oh yeah, and I would send it to other people. But it, there was something that obviously told, told me like, this is someone that we get each other. And and my whole my whole thing from that experience was like I wish that I had had more time with this director. So then I was like in my brain that was the last thing I left with plus all this interaction and then um, when Amparo sort of like drops in my lap in the sense of like the very very seedling minute idea of it um, I call Vicky because I was like, uh, so you want to do this thing together that just like landed here? And it, at that moment, we didn't know it was Amparo. It was um, Paul Ramirez from Team Enterprises had called me because he had been searching for someone. People referred him to me because he was looking for someone who knew about Cuba and wrote plays. Um, and was sort of multidisciplinary. And then, you know, like that's exactly what I do, which I always say, I'm like, I, I feel like, and we both say this all the time, we we're built for this thing. Um, and then like one thing led to the other and I was like hey Paul do you I I really like this director I want to bring her in and also she's assistant directing Latin History for Morons which is a big plus super plus (laughs) I had just gotten the gig too (laughs) that's great and and they were like yeah 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 and then I remember that I had beers with Paul and was like we were like riffing on this thing and I was like you know that the thing that you're talking about like this 20 minute quote unquote 20 minute play on a bar that you want to do that involves people there's a thing called immersive theater and then we started talking about that and we started talking about um, like this hashtag that had appeared online especially in young adult literature own voices that was like tell your story in your own voice and all this stuff started to arise and then we Paul and I called Vicky on the phone. And then I remember that call because I was like literally in my old building in the Foreign Ambassador's lobby, which had the worst reception. But I remember standing like in the center. I just remember vividly that conversation. I remember it too. It was in my so living funny. room. Like, and my Wendy Williams robe that John Leguizamo had gotten and <laughs> oh had my gifted God, to me. Mar has. Which now our assistant Mar has. It has been handed down. I was like there. I was like, okay. And I had realized that that was the first time we had a phone call together. Yeah, no, for sure. It was like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just talking to Vanessa. And I go, oh, and I'm like, oh my God, this is the first time we're actually on the phone together. It was like really weird. It wasn't until rehearsals for uh, Amparo that we were like, oh my God, this totally works. Like in a massive, crazy, crazy way. Like click, 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 go, 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 go. That you could just like, it was like really working. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is like a whole new world of making you know, because you could do stuff on your own for a million years and that's fine and things will go out, they they will go out into the world, but like the more people that you have, like that really click and that's so rare. Um, That's God sent. Yeah, 
So it was like literally a beautiful thing watching it happen um, and f- like moving through and being like doing it, you know? So it was like, oh, okay, well, this can't end here no matter what happens. So ACC. Yeah, and then we're like, well, yeah. I like working with you. You like working with me. <laughs> let's, let's become this thing. And another thing was that we knew and the theater structure of how the world works, they right. would want to separate us. Right. Right? And this is like, sounds like Rose and, and Jack from the Titanic. We're like, never let go, Jack. Um, but we were like, well, how do, we, how do we just do it in a way where, where we just, we want to work together. Yeah. And it's fun. We're like, you want this project? Cool. It's us. Yeah. Instead of like, yeah, I know that you're this theater that needs to work with that director. That's all fine and dandy. But actually, this project is with this director and vice versa. Like, that's the thing that we wanted to make sure happened because there were there are visions that we have that can't be created one without the other in the sense of like, okay, great. So we're going to move this particular piece of, of art or property or whatever you want to call it in whatever world you're dealing with forward, then you have to deal with both of us. Yeah. I think yesterday there was this very sweet moment. A friend of mine from Atlanta was here. And um, I've known her from like the beginning of college. Um, and it was amazing that she even, she flew down just to watch awesome. Amparo. She did, man. She's the best. Crystal Joseph, you're the best. And I hope you hear this podcast. Um, <laughs> and she came down and she had this moment. Um, you know, we've been through a lot together. Like, she has seen everything. Like, every single moment, Crystal has seen everything. And she looks at Vanessa and she goes, you know, Vicky's pretty great. But the two of you together, man, damn. <laughs> and it was like one of these moments of like, you know, we're not crazy. Yeah. Um, and it was like this nice moment to watch my friend see my other friend and watch this thing that we had made together. And it actually meant a lot. I'm getting super emotional right now. There you go, David. Thank you so much. And the champagne. Um, but it was something that was that I think that was really beautiful to hear. Just like, you know, we feel it all the time. Um, and we do feel that we've been built to tell our stories together. And um, and so th- and I think that that's the reason why we're called Abre Camino Collective, which is all about opening paths. It honors that we want to be. There's this cheesy uh, line from Coldplay, which is, "I'd rather be a comma than a full stop," <laughs> which is like you know just keep the sentence going. Mm-hmm. Um, our parents have been that way. We've been raised on the same values, and I think that that transfers to everybody that we work with. That's the long question of how we met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but one thing that you mentioned there, which I find fascinating, I, I feel like a lot of creatives have felt, is that moment when you're like, am I crazy? And, and what happens in life that either confirms or denies it? You know, like, what was that? How long did you battle with that concept of like, am I crazy? Am I delusional? Am I... Dude. Going down the right path. I feel like we still have that still. moment all the time. Like, the good thing is that we don't have it with each other. We're like, go, 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 go. Like, the crazy doesn't exist in our world in the sense that everything is possible. The second it goes outside of this bubble that is Abre Camino Collective, people are like, huh? And you're like, oh, wait, hang on. Roll it back. And let me start from A and then B and then C and everything is possible, right? But like, yes, every time you step out into a world in which anyone has to fund an idea that they think is crazy or 
even like pre-fund or what do you mean it doesn't work like that because this works like this and uh, you know a production works like this a residency works like this and this works like this and this works like that and it's like okay great but what are we making together and how are we moving that forward that's fine but how does it work for this particular thing that we're making so let's just talk that yeah and yeah. I think that having a team member mm -hmm. and team members like you know Mar is crazy enough to hang out with us Like I, she's sitting here right now. Everybody listening on your SoundCloud. Um, Mars our assistant. She's plus. our assistant plus everything. Yes. And I think that um, it's better when you're a team, and it helps a lot because we're allowed. To, I think you have to allow yourself to be crazy, and something that somewhere in my like my brain, and it's triggered a lot by Vanessa. Um, I always tell her this, and she's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I mean this. It's like she she gave me the key to stop judging my crazy thoughts. I had them, and then I would be like, no, 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 no. And she was like, shut up. That's, stop it. Get away with that. And like the whole thing would happen. But I think that what happens is that when you allow yourself to rethink the crazy, you have to understand that the world was created by people who had nothing and then created rules. So those rules didn't exist before. And so what I'm learning now, and in particular these past couple of weeks and these days that we've been kind of working on our new projects and we're pushing this quote unquote crazy thought, is like, oh, nobody set these rules. Like this wasn't like all of a sudden the earth was born and all of a sudden there was a book and like this is how the world works. That's not how it was done. Somebody made up a rule. Uh, and just to sound like a snooty person, but Sartre says that all the time. Like I read this whole thing and he's like, The, the concept of how society works is because we started to compare and contrast with each other. And therefore, we saw someone like, oh, you get married and you have kids to one person and so on and so forth. So then we started imitating each other and we started doing that. So when you start to understand that that's how we work and you're like, I can make new rules and then therefore we can set a new version of how this works, then you give yourself the freedom. And when you allow each other to be crazy, then crazy thoughts can happen, and then you can actually change the world. No, I think that's a great way to, to kind of explain the whole thing, and it brings us back to, I mean, the most pressing project that you guys are working on right now, which is the Amparo experience. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read one of the quotes that you guys did in People in Español, which said, uh, I hope the Amparo experience can bring some understanding to Cuban-Americans who have never been to Cuba but have grown up with their family stories. It brings healing to those who have experienced exile firsthand, and it brings awareness to those who don't know much about the history of Cuba. So let's go into your background and kind of, we've already talked about how you guys met, we talked about the synergy between you two, and now we're gonna talk about the history of like backgrounds and roots in Cuba and now in Miami. So what does that mean to you and how does it all bring it to current day, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like both of us are super Cuban. Super. Um, yep. And I think that's part of the reason why we connect in the sense that we have these like base values that are also based on Cuba and the both the idea and the reality of the of that place um, and its future. But um, I mean, my personal my both of my parents are Cuban. My my mom is from La Habana. My dad is from Sagua La Grande. Um, My stepdad is also from La Habana. Stepdad's dad was in prison for 15 years. My grand, my other grandfather, like hardly escaped Cuba within a you know hair's breadth of his life. His brother was imprisoned, tortured to the point that the year 
after he was released, he didn't speak to anyone at all for a year. Um, just like that kind of trauma. Um, the stories that come from that island and the reality of that island and that juxtaposition with what people think Cuba is, is very, very sort of embedded in everything that I am, I think, I do, um, because I feel a very real responsibility. And I have it now, because I feel like when I was in college, I was like, I don't want to tell a story. I don't want to tell the story and I have you know like if I ever write a memoir I will go back and analyze that moment in time and why that happened at that particular moment in time but when it all switched over into the point of like you must tell the story me telling myself that and understanding that that is real um, is when I realized you know this this is the thing that I have to do I have a real responsibility for this this is something that I believe I bridge that I have a lot of um, not only emotional information about, but also intellectual information about, um, more than a lot of people that get to tell the story. And so I feel like it's very important to say I reclaim this story, I tell this story, and I will continue to tell this story. And I feel like if we want to be super crazy about this thing, I mean, I feel like both of us believe that there is a future for Cuba, um, in which there is a Cuba that is free of the particular dictatorship that has been in power for 60 years, um, and that we are a part of that in whatever shape or form, and whether that is artistically moving forward a particular story and telling its truths. So, yeah, I feel strongly about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> I think that, the, I think all of that is, like, just blended. I think that it is, it, when Vanessa says that it really is, that what we, it's not that we were shocked by that point when we really started to get to know each other, but it's like how we our paths kind of mirrored in various ways. My background, family-wise, is like my my mom waited 18 years of her life. She was born and she was like, "We're gonna leave Cuba." So she had, she waited 18 years before she left. My dad um, left with him, Mariel after his whole family had left and he was left alone. And you know, one of the things that my dad has is a, a letter that he sent in pieces. Um, to his friends so that they can gather together and read this letter together and talking about his whole experience and he kept a copy um, and so I think that I am everything like Cuba <laughs> I'm going to sound like the real Havana Club but it is true Cuba does live within me it is a thing that brings me to Vanessa it's the thing that brings me to my current relationship it's the thing that brings me to my friends it's the thing that brings me to this project it's the we really were built for this. I went to schools that weren't normal schools. Like people went to like normal elementary schools and public schools. I went to Jose Mati school <laughs> where we celebrated El Bendiocho de Enero for Jose Mati's birthday and El Bende de Mayo. And we read, like we walked to Jose Mati parade. There's like pictures of me dressed as the Cuban flag. There's all of this. Um, and we joke. And I say, I'm like, I feel like I had to catch up. Like, I had 10 years to catch up to you because you existed before I did. And so, I, like, I have to rush real fast to get up to where you were. Um, and so, my whole life has been Cuba. And I remember getting really angry at one point and being like, damn it, Andy Garcia made the Magic City. So, like, I can't. No, not the Magic City. What is it? The Lost City. The Sorry. Last one. Magic City is the, 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 H, the star There's show. There's a lot of things combined there. But, like, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. The Cuban movie has been made, which is crazy to think, actually, that a child was like, 
oh, just because he made that movie, that means I can't make mine. We can dive into that in a whole nother yeah. segment. But I think that that thriving thing of, of we love Cuba a lot. Um, and to define ourselves as Cubans is something we take with pride, which is sometimes why we get upset in the world of American theater world where they're like, you cannot ask where someone's from. I think that when I really analyze it is because I'm so proud from where I'm from. Like my friend from Kentucky that I met in New York, he always talked about, he's like, I'm like, what's the first thing you learned about me? And I don't know why I asked him that. I'm like, what's the first thing you learned about me? He's like, that you're Cuban. Like you <laughs> shout that thing all over the place. And I'm like, well, yep, that's right. And I think that that's the driving force. And it's, it's a place that we would have been born there had it been free. And maybe we weren't allowed to. But also the Cuban story is the story of exile. Martí was in exile for a very long time. Cespedes was born in exile. Uh, Maximo Gómez was born. Like, all these people are born outside of exile fighting for this one island that I don't know what's made. It's made of gold. It's made of magic. It has some of the smartest people. It has everything. And it, it breeds this diaspora that has this loyalty and love to it. Um, and I've drifted off to like my super bizarre old man <laughs> croqueta eating cafecito rant about it. <laughs> so I think everyone can, can feel the passion and understand where you're coming from when you're speaking to this. But if you were to give an outsider, you know, an elevator pitch to the Embato experience, what would that be? It is. Uh, the story of the Rio Havana Club, which is the rum that the Arechavala family created in Cuba. Um, they were in Cuba since the 1800s, turn of the 19th century, created Havana Club in 1934, and um, it was nationalized. It was essentially stolen from them in 1959. This is the story of that family and everything that they had to go through in Cuba and outside of it in exile as Cubans, um, and therefore the story of the Rio Havana Club. And I would say to anybody who might not be remotely even close to the story, is that from the outside, crazy Cuban, we look like crazy Cubans. And if you just take an hour and a half and walk through that story with us, you will understand why we are the way that we are. And it's a story that repeats, that it doesn't end in the exiles of the people in the 60s, but it continues through the 80s, through the 70s, through the, through the 90s. It explains why people even threw themselves into a raft in the first place and why people still continue to run. Um, right now, um, I'm going to get a little political, but there's, there's, this is not a common story, but there's, there is a particular political prisoner right now, who's Jose Daniel Ferrer, who is in jail right now and being tortured for speaking. It's specific movement. For specifically just saying that there is a desire for a democratic Cuba. That's all. Um, I also think that this idea that you're talking about, that the, that the only reason why a people are considered crazy is because you actually do not know their story and because you have not placed certain facts of that story next to each other and because you're looking at the story consistently through a very particular lens, it is time now to widen that lens and to understand that that story is bigger than you believe it to be and that there are a bunch of factors that, that are manipulating the story that you've been told. And so like that idea of walking through what we um, know from first-hand experience is, is just incredibly impactful in the, in the sense of like 
this is a part of Cuba and perhaps a part of Cuba that, that people don't know. And it's important because it relates to uh, Cuban Americans, it relates to all immigrants to a certain degree and refugees in this country, and it relates to all, it relates to Cuban American relations, it relates to Cuban Venezuelan relations, it relates to Cuban Chilean, I mean American Chilean relations. It just, it's very, very, it's so much broader than we think it is. Yeah, and, and I think what makes it the most interesting part of it is the fact that it's an immersive theater experience. Yeah. And I, immersive theater has been around for a long time, but it seems to be now something relatively new to Miami in the current landscape. Um, is this format something that you strive to go after and produce and create for, or is it just it was contextual and it made sense for this play? I think it's something that we're committed to, and, and not just immersive. So one of our <laughs> our tips with immersive theater is is the lack of narrative sometimes of like, we're gonna immerse you in a moment and it's okay if you don't grab a narrative. I think that what Amparo gave us was like, we have to communicate our story. And I think that that's something that both of us feel very adamant about, is like, you have to walk away from here um, following a story. And Amparo serves something that hadn't served in other ways. Like, our, the Cuban story in Miami has been told a million times. There's a bunch of plays written by a bunch of playwrights talking about our story. There, it's there. Mm -hmm. It's not effective. But there's nothing like walk, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, like the saying says, and walking a mile. So when you spend that time going through all of that, which is crafted in a way that is theatrical and in a way to give you sensation to get as close as possible to that feeling, it is what the story calls for, but it's something that we're constantly thinking about of like, how do we get you into the story? Because that's the reason why we do what we do is so that we can all understand, as humans, we can understand each other better. Mm -hmm. um, and so we like to deviate a little bit from the word immersive, but we like to go into experiential um, because it opens up the possibilities of that. That, that experiential experience could be a book. It can and be anything. It can be anything. But it has to be an experience. You have to feel it, not just think it. There's theory and there's practice and there's thought and there's feeling. You know what I mean? Like you have to move through the world and feel the world. Um, and that, like you said, is very specific to this story because we needed people to feel it. But I think that that uh, is something that we want to do in the future too. And the idea that um, if, for example, a British model of immersive theater is something that you can put together later because there's a kind of indirect way of storytelling that then you sort of um, put together like a puzzle piece in the aftermath and that's a different kind of catharsis as not what we're doing because there's an urgency to the actual story that needs to come through and we need you to actually feel the story so that you can feel so that then you can piece together what the heck that means later but the story itself needs to come through right there's a privilege that Macbeth has yeah um, because it's a play that's been around for hundreds you know of years yeah. and you know it and so then you can go to sleep no more and you can piece the thing together you know the story actually you can google the story and you can get it we don't have that luxury with our stories. Because no one has heard the story. Exactly. <laughs> and it, they've been saying the story wrong, which yeah. is the thing that leads people, like I saw a bachelorette party in the middle of La Plaza of La Catedral wearing their Che Guevara shirts, the, the Che Guevara hats, yeah. and me being there and standing there, and I'm like, oh my God, this is happening right now. And not understand, like they don't understand what I'm feeling, they don't understand, I don't, like, it's just like this, because it's not a common truth known 
And literally, we can be saying this, and you still not be feeling anything. Absolutely. Think about that. <laughs> well, I overheard one one incident where I think it was like one anomaly where there must have been an outsider of the Amparo experience. It saw, I guess, that there's a scene where the comité comes in to, you know, raid. I, I, I'll be honest in saying that I have not seen it myself. We're getting you in there, David, <laughs> yeah. for November 24th. <laughs> but... I'm like, how powerful is it that someone from the outside looks at these people dressed in military garb walking in and call the cops to think, and then they had to like partially stop for it because someone really thought that something was going. So talk about immersive to the point where people literally thought that there was an we actual... We have so many things happening <laughs> a on a daily things. basis. A First of, of all, I want to say that in our pilot, we had a fainter. And pilots are pilots for a reason. They teach you things. That taught us that this show creates fainters and that people faint. So every single week, we have people that faint in the show. One week, we had a family of three faint, one right after the other. And so like the things that happen because people are experiencing, re-experiencing, reconnecting, having... One thing that we worry about is the, the post-traumatic stress that we may be igniting. And hopefully, our goal is healing at some point. But um, that whole thing is happening every single week. We've had militia that got um, fanned in the face, slapped in the face. We've got guns that have been taken over um, by audience members, fake guns, just to be clear. And then this incident, which you were there which for, because I, was there I wasn't for. there that day. But. Oh my God. So this day was particular. Um, <laughs> so we go through, there's a portion in the play where you know the revolution hits and things start ta getting taken over, right? The, uh, there's a Club Nautico that you go into and that place gets nationalized. And when that place gets nationalized, stolen, just to be extra clear, um, people start, you know, going and they start moving. Part of the moving process is through the outside. And so we had to go through the outside and so we go inside to the next part of the play and it had been a while, which w that part was something that I felt a little bit weird about. I'm like, wow, that took a long time. And all of a sudden, I'm outside in a particular scene that takes place under a roof, but outside. And so at that point, I want to say that we were up like a little while, but not enough where, you know, at this point, people recognize Vanessa and I pretty clearly. And so we can't be as undercover as we wanted to be. Um, but in that moment, I still had some sort of like, <laughs> like a <laughs> distance. And I was pretending to not be the director and be there while I was secretly taking notes. And all of a sudden, there's like a... Doo, 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 doo. And we see like this little head over like the, the wall of the thing. It's like, is there a supply going on? <laughs> and it's this dude with like five other dudes, like full on SWAT gear. And we're like... Uh, and the actress who's like in the middle with her hands in the dirt, she's like, um, yeah, uh, yeah. And he's like, who can I talk to? And I'm like, and all of a sudden I'm like. And I love that we're like, no matter what, you do not break the immersive experience. <laughs> and they're like, hmm. They're like, what do I do right now? Yeah. It's a straight up man with a gun. And I'm like, oh, I'm the director. And then all of a sudden, like the people there are like, what? And so like this whole thing is happening. He's like, uh, what's this? And I'm like, this is a play. This is, this is definitely a play. He's like, if you want, you can meet us through this end. And, you know, they came through the parking lot. They stopped the whole play. 
Um, they had but to apparently check. that because my sister uh, was the character of Mar at like for the first six months, and she came home that night and was like, "Oh my God, look at what you missed!" But like we kept talking and talking because of this rule of like don't break the immersive experience, and because they were on the other side of the house, they continued packing to leave for Cuba and the whole story of the anxiety and what we're going to do and what's going to happen like that went on and on and on to the point that people when they came back because they were given the they were essentially refunded the ticket and given another opportunity to see the play um were like wait that was not part of it and they were like no, no. we made that shit up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they they checked the guns they checked to make sure that the props the prop guns were fake we had to skip this particular moment in the play in which um, in which somebody gets um, killed. Shot. A shot. And so we're like, we're skipping over that to not alarm anybody. Um, and so we had to refund those people. But everybody at that party, that everybody went to the most special show <laughs> of a battle. And they were able to come back. And, I mean, it was good for those people. They were, they were to, None of them were upset. None of them crazy. were upset. They were with it, and I think that um, Amparo has gone through some very crazy things, but it's the story of, of the brand itself. Like, the Rio Havana Club has gone through so much crap that it's just survived. So we've gotten into the mentality. It's actually really great for us personally of, like, you go through things, and you're like, yeah, yeah, but it's all going to work out. It's all, it's just, this is part of it. Mm -hmm. And so, like, not just our brains, but like the brains of everybody that works in that show. It's like, this is part of the process. You just keep going and keep going and keep going. And everything, everything is a paradox that needs to be explained and needs to be felt through and then understood on a logical level. Like people still look at the old, at the Havana club that's made in Cuba and they're like, oh, this is the one you're talking about. This is the authentic one. This is, you're like, no. Interestingly, you went through that entire story. And the one that says made in Puerto Rico is the one that the actual family actually handed over to Bacardi, which is also actually Cuban and in exile. Yeah. And so therefore like that that red yellow bottle that everybody knows that is from Cuba. Which is, is now turning black and gold. What a coincidence. To to mirror the one made in, in Puerto Rico after this experience. So it's very even just like the specificity of what you take with you at the end of this is like, no, it isn't that bottle. It's this one. Because what we're trying to do is peel back the layer of what is behind that. And what you're taking with you when you leave Cuba is not the Rio Havana Club because you're essentially taking with you a lie. But if you buy this one, which was paradoxically made in Puerto Rico, you're actually carrying all of Cuban history with you when you drink this. And yeah. so what is inside the bottle? It is complicated. Let us tell you the story. Yeah. Just basically just look for the tree. <laughs> Don't look for the lady holding a thing. Look for the tree. If you look for the tree, that's the right bottle. That's my message to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so throughout all these experiences, and we kind of touched upon education early on and craziness and rebellion, but going on the piece of education, these seem to be experiences that you would have not learned while you were in school. Right? These are these are situations you aren't necessarily trained for, mm -mm. and it's something that is close to my heart. My like I said, my mom has been uh, an educator for all her life, so I've seen it through her lens and through growing up in that household. Is the concept of education how important it is, but also seeing it from the first-hand experience that today's institutions aren't necessarily preparing you for real-world experiences. And I think particularly in our fields of creativity, whether it's communications, whether it's theater, mm -hmm. anything like that, it's even harder because 
there's all these other layers that you need to peel back and be able to mm-hmm. navigate once you're in the real world. What have you two learned from your educational institutional uh, learning phase versus mm-hmm. real world having to learn hands-on, experience it out in the field? Yeah. Uh, do you want to go first? Or? I mean, I have a lot of answers, so I don't know if you want to. I'll, yeah. go, I'll, I'll go with like, the base. Okay. I think that what, and I will plug them in right here, FIU Theater did teach me. And it's because they didn't have the resources that other schools had, is that they taught you the base. And they made sure you knew how to function and to make best with what you got. So I think that what I got from my, from my education was very much how to maneuver and solve problems, knowing what mentality goes into solving a problem theatrically and beyond. Um, that helps you get to where you need to get to. Because no one's going to train you for the SWAT to come in in an immersive piece. Mm-mm. And the world's going to keep changing. So this is great. So like, what happens is that now Vanessa and I, if we decided to go teach something, we could go back and we could teach something, and it'll be old already. Because the world will keep evolving. It's the way that a lot of people who learn marketing are like, oh, but I wasn't there for the time of social media, and so now I have to learn this whole thing again. But if you have the base of what the root of what the the goal of the job is, you can then learn to be innovative within that. And my job is to tell a story and tell it effectively and know those tools were given to me. And then from that I can expand. I feel like I have a lot of education. Sometimes I always say like too much education in the sense that I went all the way, like double masters, a PhD, the whole thing. And at a certain point, what that did, here are all the good things. The good things are, I can go and go and go and go and go and go and go because anyone who has ever gotten a PhD, it's extremely strenuous. It really is. And you don't know it going in, and then you're like, wow, my brain is a lot bigger. Like, I have my, you could feel it actually like expanding. And then also the fact that, you have to have a certain amount of stamina to get through. There was one point where I had to read and become an expert on, quote unquote, um, 150 books in 250 days, which is essentially, if you think about it, a book every other day or like whatever it is. And then it's because you're not just reading the thing, it's also becoming an expert on the thing, you know? So like that kind of like, you must look at every angle. You have to look at, you have to go in depth and you, ha- you can't stop. You know what I mean? Like that is never going to leave me. I have it. It's done. Finished. She is a fiend. Like, she literally, like, sometimes I'm like, I can't go anymore. And you see her, I'm like, oh, my God, what a muscle. It's amazing. And that is literally training. That is just training from all of those experiences. And then there's life, which is the complete opposite of that, which is literally, like, just the opposite of that, that no one can teach you and that you have to live through and that you have to do. And, you know, like... I don't think I could have written some of this stuff without setting foot on Cuba, without without a gajillion mistakes and you know refusals and rejections and like all the things that happen in real life. Um, they just don't happen while you're at school. That that said, I also um, taught at Savannah College of Art and Design SCAD for for um, I think like a year and I taught in the writing department but I think that one thing that they really have going for them is that they do teach about art in the real world like it isn't just like you sitting down and writing a novel in a room and then you know maybe getting it published and that no there's also the idea of 
what happens when like Harry Potter ride experience needs writers you know what I mean like um someone came to to visit and talked about like how they created the whole Kiehl's marketing campaign that's writing like that is really creative writing actually and so there are a million ways in which every single business every single brand everything you do in life needs writers and so the idea that you are a starving writer is just stupid because it this is just dumb. It's like everybody needs writers. Just be a writer. You know what I mean? And and as a creative, you can do that in any way, shape, or form. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't um, inhibit you from from that does not inhibit you from doing the things that you want to do creatively and like big vision wise. You know, like one feed one thing feeds the other. Yeah, that's something that we're very adamant about. Uh, which is like artists need to get paid. Creatives need to get paid N- enough. Like, we, we do serve a lot. There's things that you cannot learn. Like, there's math and there's, arith- you know, there's, there's like, um, I was going to say arithmetic. There is um, arithmetic in the world. There is arithmetic in the world. <laughs> and there's all those things. And there's things that art and creativity do, which is that they expand that gray line between not everything's black and white. They start playing with that line and they start helping you function as a human being. And enough of us not getting paid. We're done with that. Number one. And I think that number two is that I think that for anybody who's a student listening to this, it's understanding that these rules are implemented right now while you're in school and then they get broken. For example, in school, I had all the design meetings I wanted with all of my designers (laughs) in the same room at the same time. That is BS. That does not happen. You have a conversation with a sound designer and over here because everybody has five jobs at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that you as a director have to make sure that all these people, that doesn't happen. So... I think that, that one thing I would like for institutions to do is to start throwing wrenches into people's education. Like if I were ever a, a like department head of a theater, which apparently is one of my dreams. Apparently. You apparently brought I brought it up. Mm-hmm. Several times. But it's just to like constantly throw them wrenches and constantly be throwing them into like, how do you execute the job that you know that you need to execute? These are the rules of how you do it. How do you, how do you break those up? And how do you do it in a way where you can still get the job done and do something as crazy as Amparo? Because Amparo was crazy. There was not one design meeting where we had all no, the designers together. It was totally out of control in, a, in the best way possible. It would yeah. not have happened in any other way that it happened. And if you are freaking rule-based, you could not be part of Amparo. If you, there are so many people that are like, oh my God. It's crazy. Yeah. Can I tell a really bad story where I'm on the bad end of that story? Uh-huh. Um, one of the stories was my first job in New York was being the venue director for the Fringe Festival. So basically my job was um, being the house manager, letting people in and out, and making sure that the show got everything they need, all the tech needs, all, everything. And so there was this one rule where, like, the sh- you, if you're late, you can't come in. And so this lady had supposedly driven all the way from Boston to New York to, but she was like 30 minutes late and I couldn't let her into the theater. Like the moment she would walk in, like she was in the theater, she was like in the set and this lady like starts screaming at me and she goes, if you don't bend the rules, you break. If you don't bend the rules, you break. And in that moment, that is not what I wanted to hear. And also (laughs) she was wrong in that moment. However, it has stayed with me so long yeah. That I was like, oh my God, sometimes you do have to bend the rules yeah. so that well, you don't break. Palm trees in a hurricane, just saying. <laughs> 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 All right, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. If there's anything that you could tell the crowd that's uh, exciting, new, and upcoming for Abre Camino Collective, uh, let them know. Yeah, well, um, 
you know, stay tuned with everything on Pato because we have no idea what's coming next. It'll be as much of a surprise to us <laughs> as it is to all of you. Um, but we don't believe that the, the so the, the show goes on until November 24th in Miami. We don't believe it's the end of Amparo or as we call it, the Amparo experience. Um, so stay tuned, keep looking it up and everything will be on our website as we continue. Um, also, we're creating something called A Thousand Miles, which is going to include elements of technology that are super exciting, but we can't tell you anymore. Yes. And just uh, follow us on Arte Camino Collective and individually, V Garcia 43 on Instagram and it's Vicky Ling. The it's is attached to the thing. Um, it's Vicky Ling. Um, and you just follow us and we'll keep you abreast. We'll let you know what's up. Well, like, you know what's up? It's super fun stuff. And Perfect. like, we're super Cuban and you should know about Cuba stuff with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, David. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. This is a new creative challenge for myself and it would be awesome to hear any of your feedback and suggestions to improve the podcast. So if you know of any local creatives I should interview or topics I should discuss, let me know. Also, be sure to subscribe and share this with anyone that may find value from it. And lastly, you can follow us on Instagram for updates and upcoming episodes. Thanks again.